welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This is our final Halloween episode, or Halloween-themed episode, so that means we are rapidly approaching Halloween and the election. And uh, This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are equally terrified about Halloween night and also the election. Yeah, I mean, so before we do anything, I'm going to say go vote. And that's that's my recommendation. That's a recommendation I'm going to give right at the top. And also, I want to do a quick PSA of, hey, if you have been enjoying these episodes, if you have been listening to us for a while and you have not reached out to us, you should send us an email or reach out to us on social media. Of course, to support the show, you can leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may join us on Patreon and get access to bonus episodes and content and videos and all that sort of thing. I figured just get that out of the way now so we don't have to say it at the end where people stop listening. We really legitimately love hearing from you. Like whether it's feedback, whether it's like ideas, like send that stuff our way. Like we really like do this stuff because we think that people enjoy what we do and are entertained or at least get some information out of it. But we want to hear whether or not it's working. We want to hear your ideas. We want we just want to hear stuff. So so feel free to reach out to us. And and the truth is, is like you will likely hear from one of us or a member of our team that you have heard on the show at some point in time. So it's this is a small operation. So when you contact us, it's not you're not going to get a marketing team. That's right. So email us at info at www.wwdpodcast.com. We're on all the social media platforms at www.wwdpodcast. And we also are now on Reddit. And so I'll post a link for that in the show notes. Yay. Yeah. All right. So let's dig into mummies. <laughs> Ooh. This is not a dry topic. No, no, it is fairly straightforward. It's fairly cut and dry, but it will be <laughs> be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I think this will be good. I, you know, and thank you, Alan, for doing the notes for this one because we were really excited about this. Yep. So this is your favorite third grade history unit brought to life, literally from the dead, and by dead we mean the first iteration of the Mummy movie series. You know, the the good one <laughs> with Brendan Fraser. Hey, whatever happened to Brendan Fraser? Where is he? Yeah, what's he doing now? Oh, he's in uh, he's in Doom Patrol now. Oh, that's right. So he was not mummified. No, maybe. I don't know. He's a robot. He's encased in stuff. So I guess maybe. Oh, okay. He's a, he's a mummified that was stuffed inside a robot that's now being puppeted around. That's horrific, by the way. That's a horrifying image. That is. Sorry. I got so dark so fast. And we were on such a, a fun comedic role. No, I mean, I just, it's just, it works though. It works. It works for the theme. It's okay. So there's a lot of interesting things to unpack about mummies and how to understand them. And I think this is a broader, there's a broader conversation to be had about sort of how we generally handle our dead as humans. And I think we're going to, we're going to actually, we're going to come back around to this topic as a teaser, I guess, for upcoming episode. Yeah. Next Maybe year. the third <laughs> annual Halloween series. You know it. All right. So let's talk about the origins of mummies. Yeah, so Egyptians believed that to achieve eternal life, the body and the soul had to be united after burial. And so essentially because the soul left the body after death, there was the idea of preserving the body as best as possible. So they believed that the afterlife could only exist if a form of that ka or the soul could repossess some type of body or some kind of vessel. And this was only possible if the body was recognizable, which is interesting considering that mummies don't look like the people anymore right now they are trying to preserve them as well as they possibly can and so it's kind of interesting to think i don't know how common mirrors were back then but they're like your soul's gonna leave your body you're gonna turn around and look at that that husk that's laying on the slab and be like that's not me like i, know, I don't weigh that much and then you know go off and search <laughs> so they, they want your body to look as much like you as possible and this was a long process so mummification took approximately 70 days to complete so i mean 
I can't imagine that if people were dying in large numbers that this could be done in a reasonable time frame. This had to go on for, you know, that whole team of people must have been doing this. I wonder if this is maybe a place where capitalism started, where it's like there was like mummy businesses <laughs> where like, you know, if you really it, like, you, you know, you can go over to Atuma's business and you can go ahead and get those jars, but they're not going to last. They don't seal very well. Like we have better seals over here, you know, so I would love to see the haggling around that. Yeah, so because this is a difficult, long process, this is, as you might imagine, largely going to be available to the wealthy and the elite. Poor people couldn't afford this process. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think you're kind of right. And if you ever saw the movie Mr. Brooks, he talks about always invest in things that people need, like cemeteries and maybe water was the other one he says. (laughs) But yeah, so like this is a business that is never going to not need to happen. So middle class individuals could sometimes have some form of mummification happening, but you do largely see the spread out. And that means that this actually was maybe not as generative a practice. You would see mummification both of men and women because if they were if they had the clout and the money, then they would be able to go through this two and a half month process. Ultimately, it was done to preserve the body for those best chances of achieving entry into the afterlife. Now, mummification was not the sole way that somebody could enter the afterlife, and that's an important designation too. It's just that the mummification process was designed to make that a better process or a smoother process or a more efficient process for those folks. There's kind of an interesting history to go into sort of how this discovered, but I think in order to save some time in the discussion we have, suffice it to say the estimates place the beginning of mummification as a practice as early as 2600 BCE and continued well into the next 2000 years. So up to and including, you know, 600 BCE. It didn't happen after Jesus is what we're saying. So. Of course, the process varied across cultures, and over the 3,000 or so years that it was practiced, there were some variations to include whether or not to include the brain or the heart or any of those organs being removed from the body. Like, there are slight variations to this larger process. Now, going back to the fact that this is capitalism, you get what you pay for. (laughs) Between the period of about 1570 to 1075 BCE, this included King Tut's mummification. That's where you're going to get that super deluxe package, nice sparkle and shine mummification process the the state of the art that's the special edition that's mummification se right (laughs) yes exactly the practice ended around the fifth to seventh century given that the egyptians became christians and the practice was not applicable to the religion anymore so as you started to see this culture shift this ancient practice actually kind of like died away for a little bit now how to mummify a body in seven easy steps (laughs) because that's what everybody's asking that's right we all want to know So the first step is the announcement of death. Basically what ends up happening is the public is informed of the death by messenger and mourning occurs. They start preparing the body and there's a ceremony and and different arrangements that are made by the family. So unlike in Monty Python, they make sure that they're actually dead. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) So what a great, what a great moment. The next step is embalming the body, which is to purify the body. And the chief embalmer wore a mask of the god Anubis, and embalmers were generally special priests, and it began in a special tent called an ibu. So the body was rinsed with water from the Nile and cleansed with palm wine, the Nile brand, not that cheap Walgreens generic brand, you cheap bastard. That's right. Don't get your embalming fluid from 7-Eleven. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah, we're not, we're not doing mad dog embalming. Okay, so once embalmed, you're going to remove the brain, and this is called excerebration, done with a hooked instrument upserted up the nose, perhaps the earliest known COVID-19 test. And (laughs) they scramble it around and then they would pull it out. Now, the brain was not understood at the time and thus considered unimportant or even garbage. And so was often just placed in water or thrown out to dissolve. 
that's unreal to think about. But I mean, that's given our history with science and understanding the world, that's all we knew at the time. So essentially the, the Egyptians saw the human brain as on par with the flavor pill you dropped into your Kool-Aid back in the day. They were like, no, nah, that's fine. It's just, we're going to dissolve it in this thing. That's right. So, but then they got to move on to the other organs, which were very important. And so they're going to start removing the other internal organs. Yeah. And so this was done through a left side cut in the stomach and they would remove the liver, stomach, intestines and lungs. And those were taken out and also mummified. And each organ was stored in a small coffin or type of jar called a, a canopic jar or canopic jar. And these were ceramic or limestone jars that were shaped like a vase. And they all represented the four sons of Horus, which were the Egyptian gods. So they each had specific meanings. So there was Hapi who watched over the lungs and had the head of a baboon. Then you had Dumatef. I imagine that's Dumaltef, maybe, who looked after the stomach and was depicted by a jackal head. Dumatef sounds like some kind of like cold medicine. <laughs> right. Oh, Ben Senuf, I tried, I'm sorry, who protected the intestines and had the head of a falcon. And then you had Imset, who guarded the liver and was shown with a human head. So, you know, pretty interesting, uh, an array of folks. The liver is the most human organ of them all. Yeah. And suddenly the modern day urn on the mantle just doesn't compare to these jars. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess if I'm going to be cremated, then I want I want a fancy jar. I don't want I don't want it to be just a silver jar sitting on a mantle. For sure. So then you've also got lotions and palm oil and preserving fluids were used to wash the body's inside. So they actually did like a full on cleansing of the inside of the body as well as the outside of the body. And the body was packed with straw and linen to keep the person's form. Just like your favorite buffalo, pet dog, or moose that you put on your cabin wall, right? So it's like a modern form of ritualistic taxidermy. Yeah, our bodies are largely constructed just to hold our organs. And so once they're gone, you can imagine you would look pretty crazy. And so you got to stuff them full like a, like a stuffed animal. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You got to make sure that, to preserve that form. Do you think anybody requested like additional straw in some areas or <laughs> additional stuffing in some areas to like... <laughs> Yes, I 100% do. Like to hold a certain form? That's right. <laughs> can you like put less straw in my stomach? I like can you like make it so I look like I have abs? Right. Less straw and then form them into these nice six round flat areas. <laughs> here are these six rocks. That's right. Put these here. <laughs> I need to look like Brad Pitt in Fight Club. <laughs> that was something they knew about back then, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, they were very well aware. Now as some people might know, water is really good at breaking things down. And so you want to try and get as much moisture out of the body as possible. And so you want to dry the body out. Yep. So the body is placed on a, a tilted slab and covered with a natron salt, which natron absorbed water from the body and collected in a bowl. And rotting of the body was prevented by removing the moisture. So the body wouldn't rot the same way that you would see uh, a corpse that you might find in an alley somewhere in New York. Now, for 40 days, the body is laid outside to dry, and there is like this. I could just imagine this nice sizzling sound as you see that laying on the slab outside of a you know a palace or like a family home. Like, what are you doing today, Bob? Ah, you know, just drying out, Mary. It's all fine. <laughs> Seriously, like out cooking in the desert sun, you're gonna get that sort of bacon, bacon sizzle and smell. <laughs> no thanks. So that brings us to the next step, which is wrapping the body. Mamiya, which is a type of glue, was applied to hold everything together. And cosmetics, including artificial eyes, were used on the mummy's faces to kind of provide some additional features. Now, one of the most interesting things that you'll see in this type of process is the idea of a portrait mask. And it was used to cover the mummy's head and sometimes was carried over onto the sarcophagus. You would see the same type of mask that was used or the same types of carving or imagery that was used for the coverings of the sarcophagi. And the point, again, being that that allows the ka or the dead person's soul to recognize its own body. 
So decorate me like I'm 25 and not the old geezer I died as. <laughs> I want to look youthful when I pass on to my new vessel. So the body is finally placed in that decorated coffin, which we mentioned. And it's usually like elaborately adorned. You see like the sarcophagi for especially like the kings and the rulers that were like really elaborate and included gold li- lining and all kinds of different processes. And that brings us to the final step, which is the final procession. Friends and family walk through the town in a procession. And the more mourners present, the better chance the dead had for entering the afterworld. Oh, man. Could you imagine being that friend, like that person that's got like no friends? And you're like, man, like it's like a lottery for getting in. That's sad. I don't like that. Before entering the tomb, an opening of the mouth ceremony occurred and the family recited spells and the priest touched different parts of the mummy's face, allowing the mummy to eat, see, hear and move in the afterlife. So the Book of the Dead, the canopic jars and belongings of the person who was being buried were all placed in the burial chamber. The Book of the Dead contained 200 spells and instructions for reaching the afterlife. So this is something that apparently there's a little homework to do after you die. Your soul's got to sit down and pour over this book and make sure they follow the instructions directly. This is not something, by the way, that you can buy in Diagon Alley. <laughs> do you think they make an ebook version of this? Yeah, no, I, I do think that this would be updated for a night. You did, they'll just leave a Kindle in there, so it's easy to flip through. It's where you usually possess a tablet. Plus, they hold a charge forever, so. <laughs> so, Wang of the Heart occurred after the tomb was sealed. So, this was witnessed by no one and considered the final judgment of one's life based on the organ, considered to be the most powerful part of the person in the center of one's being. And so, the gods of the underworld made a final judgment on how one behaved across their life. So, hopefully, you weren't like a nose picker or a regifter, or that's going to be a whole different issue for you. Also, I think that means that if you're a massively overweight and super unhealthy and you have a major, a major enlarged heart, that you were considered like the pinnacle of moral goodness. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I mean, I, maybe. I don't know. So John Goodman would have been fine for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the afterlife, the heart was weighed against the feather of truth by the goddess of truth, Matt. Right. And so Anubis, the god of the underworld, made all the final judgments. And if the heart balanced the feather, then eternal life was granted. Right. And if not, the soul was doomed and the heart was fed to the monster emit, which sounds awful. Cue the Willy Wonka. You stole fizzy (laughs) lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. (laughs) Now, could you imagine uh, Gene Wilder telling you that you can't get into the afterlife? I'm so far away from the caliber of Gene Wilder's delivery of those lines. It's just just sad. So... (laughs) You can watch the original Willy Wonka movie so much better. Just that scene. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That was much better. Wow, look at you. I'm a Gene Wilder fan. Like, what can I say? I really like oh. Mel Brooks movies and Blazing Saddles and Willy Wonka and all that. So That's great. Yeah, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. There you go. There's, there's another recommendation for you. Young Frankenstein. Oh, man. <laughs> so many good ones. <laughs> Werewolf. They're wolf. <laughs> so... The question that we have, and then maybe since you're asking, I, I imagine you're listening to this and asking this question, are people still mummified today? A modified form of mummification is used by some in the form of bondage or sexual fetish. So, I mean, you're not preserving dead bodies, I hope, but that's, <laughs> there is a form of this wrapping the body from head to toe with such things as rubber strips, cloth, bandages, plaster, or body bags, and delivering sensual stimulation while being immobilized. And then that is released when the body is unwrapped. Yeah. And there is actually a Japanese modification that uses wet sheets and then a hairdryer to dry and tighten them further. So there are different versions of this. Now, before you pause this episode and go to your medicine cabinet, please be aware that this could be risky if the mummified partner cannot signal distress or associated risks of sweating, dehydration, body temperature, or blood supply being jeopardized. So 
when we start talking about this, don't just go out and do it. There are like rules and different procedures and processes by which to keep everybody safe in that. So experts, yes, experts suggest having panic shears, which you mortals probably call them scissors to get out of these situations. <laughs> That's what I want to call my scissors that from now on panic shears. Honey, where are the panic shears? I've got a card to make. All right. But in all actuality, don't ever say the United States doesn't have its freedom. Sumum, a company in Utah, or Sumum maybe, um, has spent the last 30 years developing a modern system to achieve mummification. And this is according to a source from the Daily Mail. And this was set up by a gentleman named Claude Noel. Noel? Noel. Definitely Claude Noel. Who later changed his name to Sumum Bonum. Yeah. Amon Ra, which is Corky Ra for short. <laughs> so 1500 people across the world have actually contacted the company for the chance and not just humans they have pet options too like dogs cats peacocks finches and even rats now the first humans mummified by the company began about 15 years ago but by law had to be opened after 18 months to check on the progress and state law mandated that opened bodies be incinerated so you're only really mummified for 18 months before you have to be cremated so cool i guess and you'd think that in modern technology, we would have sped this process up, but actually it takes longer now. So you've got a full three month process. This is 90 days. The organs are removed and cleansed. The body is hydrated for more than 70 days in a tank full of chemicals. Then the body is covered in lanolin and wax, then layers of cotton gauze and a fiberglass finish, then encased in steel or bronze casket. Yeah. So the big difference is, as opposed to the ancient belief of dehydrating the bodies, this Suman believes that keeping the body properly hydrated is more likely to preserve it in the form necessary for navigating the afterlife. And of course, they've tested this theory with pets mummified for years, and they truly are preserved in impeccable form. So, you know, you might see the preserved friend and, and say, you look good. Have you been working out? And they will say nothing because they're mummies. <laughs> so if you're wondering about getting mummified, there is a price. Now, cats cost $6,000. Dogs cost $25,000. And humans cost up to $67,000, but more for larger adults. So you may want to watch your figure when you start getting close to your deathbed. <laughs> exactly. And maybe <laughs> at any other point in life, just for health reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Although we're not, we're not body shaming here. Just, you know, just encouraging people to be and the kind of health that they would like to be in. So, all right. And because we learned nothing from Dr. Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, the company has commented that this process has tremendous implications for cloning as it is feasible that DNA could be retrieved from drilling into the casket years down the road. Now, a counselor from the company commented, being able to take out DNA at a later date has real appeal for people. People like the idea of being able to clone themselves. I don't think that I have ever in my mind been like, I want to clone myself. Same. Yep. Nope. There is definitely just as many Abrahams as the world needs, maybe even too many. <laughs> there is a perfect balance. There is a good amount. And I don't mean to say people who are actually named Abraham. I, I mean me. <laughs> just me. <laughs> That's it. There's You only really need one me in this world. It, it's it's exhausting otherwise. I'm really not at all suggesting that people go out and call the Abrahams of the, of the world. <laughs> I'm just saying there's enough of me. All right. So yeah, uh, <laughs> movies have shown us that it's incredibly well thought out with zero repercussions when you clone things. So yeah, easy sell. Just watch The Sixth Day. Or uh, Multiplicity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. To be fair, I'd, wa I'd want to live in a world where there's multiple Michael Keatons. I would be fine with that. That's true. I, that's fair. You got to think of the person that you're considering cloning. <laughs> but <laughs> if you consider one person to clone, I guess it would be Michael Keaton. 
I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can think of a handful. I wish we had another Chadwick Boseman. Yes, agreed. 100% agreed. All right. Something we like to do on the show, in case it's your first time ever listening to us, welcome, by the way. And I hope that this episode hasn't utterly caused you to lose your taste for what we might have to offer. But a thing that we like to do is uh, myth busting. Yes. So let's go ahead and get into that. Let's do it. Or myth stomping or myth squishing, whatever <laughs> it is. Anyway, there is the idea that mummies can cure diseases. As recently in the 18th century, some medicines were actually extracted from using mummy powder. And that comprised of some of the embalming materials used in the process in an effort to cure various ailments. So it's not quite at the level of injecting Clorox or bleach or using a witch doctor, but it's it's fairly on par with that. So I'm going to just give a firm recommendation to not inject human remains into your body. Yeah. I, I, you know, the first thing I think of is the episode of The Office where Andy is at Gabe's house and he like drinks something like he like eats like rhino powder or something. And he's like really sick for the rest of the party. It was a seahorse powdered seahorse. Seahorse, that's what it was. I was like, I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew it was something that you shouldn't do. There's another movie or a show where somebody thought it was chocolate milk mix and they, they scrambled human remains into a drink. I don't remember what it was now. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Maybe don't do that. Okay. So number two is mummies fueled locomotives. So this is a myth. Now it's derived from a rumor and perpetuated by a Mark Twain book that mummies were extracted from a graveyard and used as fuel due to the lack of other combustible objects. But in reality, the trains were powered by British coal. And we thought Willie Nelson's bio Willie eco-friendly diesel was nuts. Could you imagine a mummy powered train? That sounds like something from a Stephen King book. I mean, if they'd gone through the amount of like decay and process that other fossil fuels were, then it would make sense. I mean, it wouldn't be a single mummy. It'd be like millions of them, but uh, like we humans haven't been around long enough for that to be a viable option. So <laughs> not yet. All right. Now mummies were wrapped in this sort of linen cloth. So you might think that they would make good stationary. However, European travelers to Egypt, sorry, I just glazed right past that. Um, <laughs> European travelers <laughs> in Egypt in the 19th century claimed that mummy wrappings were used to make high quality paper, but no hard evidence was actually found of these claims. And although mummies may not make good paper, they do make for a very cliche third grade paper assignment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, um, another myth that we have to debunk is mummies curse people who disturb them. And this was perpetuated by mishaps occurring to those who stumbled on certain tombs, including King Tut's, prompting the belief that those who disturb the dead are cursed. And so the only mummy likely to curse you is the crappy remake with Tom Cruise. So just don't make eye contact. <laughs> That's right. Stay away. <laughs> All right. Another myth is that a mummy sank the Titanic because why not? <laughs> And this rumor was made up by a journalist before the Titanic sailed, but debunked by no inclusion on the cargo list, because basically the argument being that there was a mummy in the cargo, the mummy was like, I'm taking you all down with me, we're going to hit an iceberg. That all sounds kosher, I guess. <laughs> and it was made popular only when the journalist died in the sinking. So the myth, this myth might be false, but the fact that Jack totally could have joined Rose on that piece of the giant piece of wood door is so true. <laughs> he could have survived so i actually just heard this rumor not too long ago and uh i was listening to another podcast about that and they brought that up and there are people that still believe that a mummy helped sink the titanic as like part of like the conspiracy theory groups i never heard that one before but i mean given everything else that people believe in i guess it's not any more ridiculous than the believing the earth is flat yeah yeah it's just it's, it's it's just another thing so another myth that we look at is that mummies make great fertilizer so in the late 1800s mummified animals were shipped to england where some ground them up to be used as fertilizer but this wasn't a regular occurrence so stephen king could write that story in his sleep <laughs> oh man that would be interesting i'd like to read that story <laughs> right all right and the last one here is that eating mummies confers some magical powers so you eat them then you get 
diseased. But um, Charles II of England is said to have sprinkled powdered mummies on his face to channel the power of the pharaohs. And if that doesn't seem, sound like a deleted scene of Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, then I don't know what is. But yeah, <laughs> also no evidence for this. This is it's not going to work. I feel like it's a strange thing that we live in a world where groups of humans believe that ground up mummies like mummy dust does stuff like just the idea of like, I'm going to take this body. I'm just going to grind it up and use it for stuff for like multiple things, like for paper or for fertilizer or for like just the idea of like, hmm, like this body is useless as it is. What can we what can we use it for? Grind it up. I know. And also, like, how much of that are you getting? That's not just formaldehyde and some kind of preservative and wax and linen. And then you have some like decaying skin cells, maybe. And why? Right. I mean, maybe I don't want to know. It's just yuck. All right. But I think that's bulk of what we have on mummies. Shall we do some take on points? Yeah, let's do it. Mummification was a death ritual practice by ancient Egyptians that involved carefully preserving the body in a systematic way that maximizes the dead's potential for admission into the afterlife. So that's that's sort of the the why of mummies. Yeah, and the body and soul were considered interlocked, and by preserving the body in a recognizable state, it increased the likelihood of the soul's success after death. So the idea was that they that, that both of these things together had to exist, and they had to be preserved in a way that was meaningful so that they could they could coexist in the afterlife. And so we didn't dig as much into sort of the evolution of the mummification practices, but they did start out a little sloppier, got more sophisticated, and then interestingly, as time went on, they appeared to get a little bit sloppier again as... I guess people sort of got lazy with it or maybe didn't believe it as much, but the practice died out over time and more can maybe what you might consider to be conventional religious beliefs surrounding Christianity became more popular. And so then that practice died out and then what was Christian became what was more normal and will maybe be replaced by something else in the future. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see as time goes on. And finally, if you're in Utah and approached by a representative from some of them, maybe just stick to the ski slopes and don't try to, make a deal with them because uh that's how you're going to end up mummified somehow yeah so cool there are lots of things we did not touch on with mummies but i think that more or less wraps it up yeah i think so yeah ah, i like that <laughs> it was so smooth like it makes me so mad that it was so smooth that it just went right over my head and i was like damn it it's so good <laughs> you're on your mummy pun game today my friend <laughs> apparently <laughs> all right very good do you have anything else on mummies no, I don't have anything else. I think that's a good way to end it. Great. All right. There are lots of mummy movies out there. Um, there are lots of other things to tackle on this topic. So hopefully maybe one day we'll come back around to it. I haven't, we, we haven't decided yet, but anyway, I think that takes it out for now. So let's move to some recommendations. I like it. Recommendations. Okay. My recommendation today is going to be quick. Several months ago, I recommended the show, the boys. And now there is a season two, which I'm almost done with. So I am going to, so far I'm enjoying it. I'm going to recommend the boys season two. It's just a follow up on that. So that's simple, straightforward. It's on Amazon prime superheroes. Although it's like superheroes would be corrupt if they actually had that much power. So that's my recommendation. Yeah. I still have not had a chance to watch the first season. I keep hearing it's really great. It's just one of those things I've just got to like make time for my recommendation this week is any Stephen King book. Any Stephen King horror book that you want to read, I think is good for this time of year. Go ahead and pick one up. It is a very long book. I think Salem's Lot is a really fun one if you like vampires. Carrie is a really good one if you like fire. If you want to read, start reading the Dark Tower series, there's everything in it. There's demons, there's mutants, there's robot bears. So all of those things are out there. You can read Insomniac. 
can also read what's the story with the author i can't remember what it's called right now but they made a movie with kathy bates and it's wonderful oh misery misery yeah misery is great too yeah. stephen king is a, a a really effective writer when it comes to horror he's just got a mind for it so i just say you know this time of year they're just they're just great books to pick up so you can't really go wrong skip the girl who loved tom gordon but the rest of them are all good yeah there you go and green mile is not really a horror movie but it's a horror book but it's a good it's a good book either way under the Dome has kind of got a sci-fi thriller thing. I really liked that one. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's my recommendation. Oh, and 112263. Also not exactly horror, but really good. Yeah. Worth it. It's, it's just, he's just a great writer. So yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, if you are a mummy or you know someone who is, or you work for some of them, feel free to uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. As I said at the top of this, you can reach us all those places. My final recommendation is go vote. Yes. I agree with that 100%. Please go vote. It is so important. Yep. So we're actually in this one a little, a little bit early just so you can go vote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I think that we'll, we'll wrap it up again. Oh, pun, the pun came back on accident. Uh, we will end it there. <laughs> that was unintentional ah! that time. And uh, we've already said all the things, so I think that that's all we got. This is Abraham. This is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.